Hey guys, how are you? It's so good to be here this morning. I'm excited for what we're going to do this morning. So, how are you? Are you good? Let's get all these things organised. So, uh, yeah, Steve and I have been on a little road trip. Uh, it was our 30th wedding anniversary, 29th February 1992. <laughs> Who wasn't born back then? Few, few of you, few youngins, that's all right, that's good. Good to be young and free. So we were planning on a, a road... Well, we were actually planning on a trip to Canada. And thanks to COVID, we ended up starting in Canoundra. So Canoundra... Everyone say Canoundra. Canoundra, Canada, it's the same thing, right? But we had a, we had a fantastic time. We had a beautiful uh, balloon ride at sunrise, which was just gorgeous. I went to Snowy Mountains, did a bit of a walk caught the Kosciuszko Express chairlift and then did this beautiful walk down, saw the beautiful waterfalls. And um, then the green, 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 green valleys of the south coast. So it was fantastic. But I'm here this morning to preach the word. Who's ready for the word? Give me a yes and an amen if you're ready. So the title of my message this morning is No Compromise. Everyone say that, No Compromise. So two weeks ago, Ben preached a crack of a message on the churches at Ephesus, the church that had forsaken its first love. And last week, Anna preached an amazing message. How good was it? Really confronting, incredible. On the church at Smyrna, the church that had to stand faithful through persecution. So today I'm going to preach from the third letter to the church in um, Pergamum from Revelation 2, 12 to 17. And so the title of the message is No Compromise. So who's been enjoying looking, diving into the book of Revelation? If we're really honest, um, I would be honest and say, honesty is the best thing, right? That um, Revelation is not the first book I read, right? I prefer to read the Gospels and the letters. Maybe you'd say that I don't read Revelation because it seems like a book of doom and gloom full of all of that apocalyptic crazy imagery, a bit hard to understand. But God's confronted me and really challenged me recently that the book of Revelation is actually a book all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool, hey? Apocalypsis, the Greek word, it actually literally means, apo means to lift, calypsis means the veil. So the book of Revelation is actually a revelation of Jesus Christ a lifting off of the veil. So if ever we needed a time to see Jesus, it's right now, right? It's been a crazy, crazy season. There's the flood. Steve's uh, family live in Lismore, and so they're all safe. But it's been pretty crazy. There's the pandemic. I don't even know if we talk about that as much now because there's so many other things going on. And there's all the stuff going on in Ukraine. So if we need to hear Jesus, if we need to hear what he's actually saying, now more than ever is the right time, right? I want to know what Jesus is saying to me, and I'm sure you do too. So that's why it's great to look at the book of Revelation. Can I have an amen? So I believe that this passage reminds us that Jesus is looking for a church who is unwilling to compromise And I know that's you guys. You'll do that, won't you? Let's be a church that's unwilling to compromise. So, Benny mentioned uh, roosters. 
nights. By the way, the girls won. Just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> so if you know me, I'm a bit of a Roosters fan. Anyone, anyone know that? And uh, I love a good Roosters match. Um, I've been a Roosters fan since I was uh, knee-high to a grasshopper. My, um, my grandfather was a Roosters fan. My mum and dad were Roosters fans. My brothers are Roosters fans. Trying to teach my boys to be Roosters fans. <laughs> Steve hasn't seen the light yet. He supports St George Illawarra. Oh. No, it's no good, it's no good. So when I go to a Roosters match, we haven't been to one for a while, thanks COVID. Um, I love to get into the chook pen and cheer for the Roosters. And uh, finally, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we actually won the grand final and we were there for it. Woohoo! So uh, I like to go wild, embarrass my family, I don't care, because I'm a Roosters fan. And that's what you do in a crowd, right? So I want to talk about the crowd there's this phenomenon called groupthink. Anyone know what that is? When you uh, kind of think like the crowd. And that's what the church in Pergamum had done. Have you ever been afraid to speak up in a crowd? I'm just going to take this off right now. <laughs> Sometimes we're afraid to speak up, aren't we? Maybe there's some ideology, some thinking that's not right. But we're afraid to go against the crowd swim against the tide and speak up. And that's what the uh, church at Pergamum had been guilty of. So Jesus asked this question in Revelation 2.14. In the message, I love this, he says, Why do you indulge that Balaam crowd? What harm can a little bit of false teaching do, right? I mean, how much damage can it do? Paul writes this in Galatians, Galatians 5, 9 in the Amplified. He says this, A little leaven, a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers, leavens the whole batch. It perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. So when leaven, which is yeasty dough, is mentioned in the Bible, it actually represents false teaching and man-made traditions. Sometimes man-made traditions can be more important than what God says. So Paul says that even the tiniest little bit of false teaching can pervert the whole truth. It can mislead the whole church. So let me uh, just demonstrate this for you. I'm going to ask Steve to come up. He doesn't know this, but I'm going to ask him to help me. Give Steve a round. He loves being in... Yeah, thank you. He loves uh, being in front of a crowd, not. So uh, here I have two cups, actually four cups, of fresh, beautiful Blue Mountains water, fresh from the streams in Mount Riverview. Mm -mm -mm. <clears throat> How good is it? How many drops of food dye will it take to colour this water? How many do you think? One, one or two. Steve's going to demonstrate this for you. I want him to get the blue dye in himself, not me. It only takes one... You can put a couple more in there just for the people watching in a home. That'll do now. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. It doesn't take much, does it? It's, uh, that's four cups of water, a few drops of dye. That's all it takes to change the whole colour of the water. It's kind of like that with false teaching. Just one drop changes the whole thing. When we won't challenge false teaching, it can lead to the sabotage of 
the seduction of a whole church and generations of people. Let me illustrate this in another way. I'm just going to borrow a story from Joyce Meyer. Anyone like Joyce? Anyone watch Joycey? Thanks, Joyce. Imagine this. You've probably heard this story if you're a Joyce fan. Imagine if I said to you, I'm going to bake you a fresh batch of my chocolate brownies. World famous. I think that's how I got Stevie with my chocolate brownies. From Women's Weekly Recipe. I'm going to use all of the freshest ingredients. I'm just going to use one secret little ingredient. Just one little thing. A bit of doggy do. Mm-mm. You're looking shocked. Now, imagine if I did that. I'm sure no one will be coming up to say, I'm going to try your brownies. I'd like to do that. I mean, that's crazy, right? But how often do we tolerate just a little bit of something in the mix? Just something. Something that's not quite right. So what kind of church is Jesus looking for right now? Today, across the planet, what sort of church is Jesus looking for right here at City Church? Revelation 2, 12 to 17 talks about it. He's looking for a church that's unwilling to compromise. So this is my first point this morning. Number one, he's looking for a church who's willing to wield the word. I love the word wield. It means to hold and to use a weapon or a tool. Did you know... That the word of God is a weapon. It is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon. It's a sword. Did you know that? Because you need to know it. And you and I have an enemy. His name is Satan. And if you have Jesus living in you, you've got actually a little target on your head. But we're not afraid of that, right, people of City Church? Why not? Because we have the Word. We have the Word. We have the Word of God. It's a weapon. Let's use it, people. Just warning those people in the front row. Public service announcement. This is just a prop. (laughs) However, if you do need someone to make a sword, I know a man. (laughs) Yes, I do. So when Jesus, it talks about this in Matthew 4, when Jesus is led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan, what does he do? He speaks the word. Three times he says, it is written. That's how he keeps the enemy at bay. The same word that Jesus spoke, we have You've got it in your hip pocket right now or in your hand. Some of us have old school actual paper copy. Who likes the paper copy? Doesn't matter what form you have it in, you've got it. We've got the word. We're supposed to use it. Jesus describes himself in this way in Revelation 2.12. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. In each of the letters to the churches in Revelation, Jesus describes an aspect of himself. I'm just going to put this down. It's heavy. And that aspect that he describes is important to the church. So this is what the church in Pergamum needs. They need that double 
edged sword. Remember the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.16 from the NIV. It says, in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. I'm not going to demonstrate that right now. (laughs) But think about that. Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. I love Hebrews 4.12. I'm going to read that for you in the Amplified. It says this, For the word of God is living and active. Everyone say living. Living and active and full of power. Making it operative, energising and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you believe it? You do, I know you do. City Church, we are people who know the power of the word. The word is alive. It's not an ancient collection about a bunch of old people written 2,000 years ago that's meant to collect dust in the library, in your study, or just sit on your phone and never be used. God gave us the word. Let's use it. We need it right now. This world needs it. We need the word. We've got everything we need. I love this scripture, Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word is powerful. God created the whole universe through his word. Through his word. He spoke and it was. How amazing. Guess what? You can create a world through your spoken word when you speak his word, right? Your future depends on what God says for you and if you believe it and if you'll speak it. Some of you have stuff going on in your life right now. You need to take this word. You need to take this word and you need to speak it over your children, over your grandchildren, over circumstances. You take this word, you use it. Because it was given to us to use. It's powerful. It changes everything. So I just want to remind you of this. I really want to drive home this point if you don't get anything else from Hebrews 4.12. The word is a sword. It's a weapon, both offensive and defensive. It slays both sin and sinner. I remember when I was visiting my dad, he was very, very unwell. It was right before he passed away. And I remember going and seeing him for the first time by myself because COVID meant Steve couldn't come in. I remember walking to the ward of the acute unit for the elderly and standing at that door and uh, thinking, I don't know if I can do this. This wave of fear came over me. Anyone been there? My legs felt like they'd gone to water. 
And I prayed, God, give me a word. Give me a word that will help me. And immediately he gave me Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet will I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And immediately I felt this incredible peace. Thank you, Jesus. You're my good shepherd. You go with me. I fear no evil because you are with me. You'll protect me. You'll guide me. I can do this. Guess what? I did. And it was beautiful. I had so many beautiful moments with my dad. Precious, precious moments. So thankful for that. I needed the word. God gave me the word. When you need the word, God will give you the word. The word of God is sharp. It's sharp. Did you know there is no heart too hard that God's word cannot touch it? You have bosses at work. You have friends. You have family and you've wondered, can God get to them? Yes, he can. He got to you. His word is sharp. It cuts right to the heart of the matter. It gets right to the heart of the matter. It gets to your heart. Sometimes when I pray, God gives me a scripture and I think, God, I wanted you to change that person. He's like, no, Felicity. I'm going to change you with my word. His word does heart surgery. What can we do with the situation in Ukraine right now? If you're like me, you've probably been watching those images and just wanting to cry. What can we do? We can pray. We can wield the word. I'm praying for those Russian leaders. His word, God's word's powerful enough to cut their hearts, to change them. Amen? He can do that. He absolutely can. We can pray. One of the scriptures that's been coming to my mind for the Christians in Ukraine is Romans 8.31. If God is for us, if God is for us, come on now, people, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. The word of God is a sword. It's a sharp sword. It's a sword with two edges. No matter which way you cut, it cuts, it divides. It convicts us of sin and it brings healing. There's no escaping the edge of the sword. If we turn to the right side, it has an edge on that side. If we turn to the left, it has an edge on that side. So my question for you this morning is, will you use the word? Will you pick it up? Will you read it? Will you believe it? Will you declare it? Will you? Because it's here for you to use, to declare. It's powerful. It's so powerful. It hasn't lost any of its power. Not one ounce. What's interesting about the city of Pergamum, let me give you just a little bit of history. It was actually the political capital for the Roman province. And it was a centre for culture and education. And it actually had a huge library. It was supposed to be the second biggest in the world. With 200,000 
handwritten volumes in it. That's a lot, right? So it was a city with a lot of words in it. A lot of words. But would the church in Pergamum bow to the word? Here's the thing. I'm all for education. If you love learning, I loved learning. I was one of those dags at school that loved school and learning. If you love learning, go do it. Go to TAFE, go to uni, get that degree. I'm all for that. But sometimes worldly knowledge can get in the way of God's knowledge, knowledge of God. God wants us to yield to the word and then wield the word. So my first point this morning is wield the word. Take that word, use it, people. It's powerful. It changes the universe. And my second point is this, test the teaching. The church in Pergamum had allowed false teachers to infiltrate the church and to mislead people. It was like yeast among dough. So Jesus describes the city in this way. Listen to this. Revelation 2.13, he says, I see where you live. This is describing the city of Pergamum. Right under the shadow of Satan's throne. Wow. So these people actually lived on Satan's turf. But what was good was that they actually remained true to Jesus. They did not renounce their faith. And some were even martyred for their faith. But here's where they went wrong, verse 14 and 15. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some amongst you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So Balaam was kind of a prototype for a false teacher. <clears throat> for financial gain, he had misled the people and encouraged them to get into idolatry and sexual immorality. What's interesting about this is here we are 2,000 years later and nothing has really changed, right? They're probably the two things that would take out any Christian idolatry, turning to something else other than Jesus and sexual immorality. So the message describes Balaam as the prophet who turned profiteer, a connoisseur of evil. So here's the challenge for us. Most of the believers at Pergamum did not participate in that false teaching and the sinful behaviour. And they remained steadfastly loyal. But, and here's the big but, by tolerating them and refusing to exercise church discipline, the church invited this judgment by Jesus. So I've got some questions for us all today. How do we respond to this? Because today idols are a bit more subtle, aren't they? They're not that gold statue. I'm sure no one bows down to a gold statue, but how might we allow idolatry into the church, the Western church, in the 21st century? By the way, an idol is anything that we bow down to and worship rather than God. Do we idolise money, power, influence, our status on social media? For me, I've been asking God, what do, what do I do that might get in the way of you? And I've been thinking about how perhaps, you know, how I look, my image on social media, 
might be more important than being the image bearer for Jesus. Something to think about, Silah, think about that if that applies to you. And what are we allowing to teach us and to influence us? Are we guided more by the news than by the good news? Do we test what we're being taught in school and uni against the word of God? Are we more influenced by influences than by Jesus? Where do we draw the lines in terms of sexual morality? What will we allow? What will we speak up against? Because here's the thing, church is not a club. It's not a club. Although many see it that way, I don't like this club or go to another club. Church is actually the body of Christ with Jesus at the head. And often when people are challenged or admonished, they say, we'll just go somewhere else because we're a pretty mobile society. We don't like to receive correction. But that's what this church needs. So here's the answer. Do you want to know what the answer is? What does Jesus say to the church? Revelation 2 verse 16, this is what they say. This is what Jesus says. Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So there are only some who have embraced that false teaching, yet they must all as a church repent because they've allowed it. They haven't dealt with it properly. So do you want to know the good news? What does Jesus promise to those who will overcome, to those who are victorious? These are the two things that Jesus promises in this passage as we wrap up. Revelation 2.17 says this, To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Here we have two beautiful symbols, two beautiful pictures of what Jesus promises to us. The hidden manna, surely that's spiritual nourishment or sustenance. In the Old Testament, remember God provided manna from heaven as the people wandered in the wilderness. Now as New Testament believers, with the coming of Christ, we have access to Jesus himself, the bread of life. John 6.41 So Jesus is the fulfilment of that Old Testament picture of the manna. He is the bread of life who satisfies us forever, who brings us eternal rest. That's the promise we have when we overcome, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to rescue us. And the second thing that Jesus promises is a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, if you've ever read a commentary on this, you'll know there's multiple theories as to what this means. But a white stone in the Bible could be a ticket to a banquet. That applies, right? We have a ticket to the banquet, the banquet with Jesus forever. Imagine that. A sign of friendship, Jesus promises to the disciples and now to us, I call you my friend. Evidence of being counted. You and I have been counted in the book of life. How cool is that? And signs of acquittal in a court of law. You and I are guilty of sin, but we've been acquitted. We've been set free because of Jesus' blood. 
So I think that's an incredible promise. I love the fact that you have a, we have a white stone with a name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. It's like Jesus has a name for you. Just you, personally, for you, Tim, for you, Ben, for you, Alfred, for you, Sam. No one else knows that name but you and Jesus. How beautiful is that? What an incredible promise we have for those who will overcome. So I want to remind you this morning, doctrine matters. What we believe and hold to matters. If we're not firmly rooted in the truth of God's word, we can be easily misled. So I want to to finish with two simple questions for you. Two questions for all of us today. And I'm asking myself these same questions. Do we love Jesus enough to be brave enough to stand against compromise as a church? And number two, do we love Jesus enough to stand against the infiltration of false ideas and false teaching? What can we learn from the church in Pergamum? It's a reminder from Jesus to us today to number one, take hold of the word Take hold of the word, people, and use it. If you don't know, if you need help, if you're like, I don't know how to do that, ask your connect group leader, ask a trusted friend, ask an older person in City Church. We have a lot of wisdom in this church. Take hold of the word and use it. And then number two, test the teaching. What are you believing today? What are you believing Are you aligning yourself with the word and with Jesus Christ, the author of the word? Let me pray for you really quickly as we close. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I just thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Thank you, Lord, for your reminder in Ephesians 6 that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So, Lord, I pray for every person listening today, every person watching online, that you would, uh, we ask you, Jesus, to make your Word come alive in our hearts once more. And we will be a church who is unwilling to compromise. We will be a church who picks up your word and uses it. We're so thankful for your word. We align ourselves with that promise from Isaiah that no word that comes out of your mouth will return to you void, but it will do what you sent it to accomplish. And we're so thankful, Jesus. We're so thankful to you, the word who became flesh, and dwelt amongst us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bless you guys. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Ben.